right, Ingram Smith, Bud Elliott, back again for another episode of the Nolcast. Bud doing one of our uh, early morning pods here. Uh, enjoy an opportunity to uh, sit down and do one of these as always. And we'll thank our friends in New Iberia, Louisiana. Louisiana Hot Sauce, three simple ingredients, one fantastic product, the driving force behind the Nolcast and uh, the people that make pods like these possible. So, Bud, we've got some uh, great listener questions as always, but going to do a, uh, I guess, maybe a part one of two here uh, where we do a pretty deep dive into uh, kind of Florida State's existing roster and evaluate the recruiting needs uh, for the class of 2022. So uh, look forward to today's conversation and uh, we'll jump straight into it. Yeah, man. How are you doing? I assume better than uh, than Tennessee? <laughs> uh, yeah, depending on, you know, I'm doing do it better than Tennessee and not as good as the lawyers that will uh, surround this situation and do all types of outrageous billable hours tied to it. Yes. That's, that's going to be, that's going to be wild. Uh, I, from a content perspective, I love Tennessee. Six <laughs> head coaches in 13 years is uh, just try it out the playbook. Feels like 98, baby. Uh, <laughs> all right. Uh, so let's go ahead and uh kind of new business here to discuss that we're going to have some new business that will weave into the show with uh, some listener questions and and with the the meat of the show that we're going to have this morning. Uh, But I guess the the biggest news, I guess it's news that it's official. We we had already expected him to come back when when we did our our show about which seniors we think would come back to use their their bonus year and, and which ones FSU would accept back. Emmett Rice, senior linebacker, has elected to uh, to come back and and use his final year. I, I think this is uh, this is absolutely a win for Florida State. This is a a move that I know for a fact FSU planned around in terms of its recruiting and transfer strategy. We weren't that worried about them not taking a transfer linebacker, and I think this is one of the reasons why because you basically get a bonus player here in Emmett Rice, and you know your your linebacker room is shaping up okay. Can we can we say okay? Like this is. This is kind of rounding into form slightly. Uh, yeah, better. I mean, I think this was this was all but an assumption, uh, or, or certainly an assumption, and all but kind of uh, guaranteed. And certainly, and we'll get into a lot of this, guys. Don't worry. Uh, <laughs> but um, based off the breakdown of scholarships and how you attack things in the portal, certainly seemed as though there was a broad understanding that Rice was coming back, and glad to see it official. And you know, just as a personal perspective, uh, a kid who's kind of spanned the bridge here of everything that's gone on in this program for the last four or five years, uh, a guy that is uh, pretty highly thought of by his teammates and a guy that, you know, at times uh, was one of the one of the few bright spots uh, on defense last year. So great to see Rice. Certainly, uh, you know, love the intensity and the style of, of game that he plays and uh, look forward to see what he can do for another year. I believe uh, him, Babyon, and what Leonard Warner are the last Jimbo recruits signed. Oh no, Carlos Becker. So those four, if Becker's back, Carlos Becker and I think Akeem Dent committed to Jimbo but signed with Willie. Uh, that's the only, if I remember correctly, the only other one that's uh, that's on the roster. I, I, I think you're at, at least silently. Um, yeah, I, I believe yeah. you're right on that. And I, I have not seen if Becker's coming back yet. If, if that was announced, I, I might have missed it. We'll see uh, on, on that. I, I know he graduated, so congrats to him. 
with that, I think we should get into something here. And the, the mailbag questions have just been awesome lately. The, the, the fans are on it. They, they, they have some hard-hitting questions for us. And uh, I like to get into those. And we always want to reach out and, and let the fans know what they, what they want to know. Uh, but I do want to discuss something that I know all staffs across the country are, are discussing right now. And that is kind of setting up your class of 2022 recruiting board. The, the transfer portal is winding down as the spring semester starts. I, I don't think we're going to see a whole lot more guys jump into the portal in the next probably eight weeks. Just for the record, most of these schools have started their spring classes already, which means that if you jump now because you've already attended your spring class, your financial aid cannot be pulled until the end of the spring semester. So, you know, technically you could show up. You could be like, hey, I want to be all online classes. Let's say you went to a school in Knoxville and uh, then you're like, hey, I'm in the portal and I'm taking online classes from home. You don't even have to return to campus if you don't want, basically, in some circumstances. But I still don't think we're going to see that many guys jump in the portal now because I think most of the ones who are going to do it were basically are already going to do it. We will see a large influx after, uh, after spring practice wraps up and after guys understand kind of where they are in the system. So with that, let, let's discuss some, some of the positions here. Today, we'll just focus on offense for high school recruiting plus transfer recruiting and setting up the board. And, and in doing so, I, I encountered a problem that I know you and I have both talked to college coaches and college admins. Ingram, one of the big complications here is the uncertainty about what the NCAA is going to do as far as all these bonus COVID years these, these players get and the 85 overall scholarship rule. A lot of uncertainty up and down the college ranks, uh, exactly how that's going to impact, who's going to pay for them. I mean, some of these smaller schools, there's, there's conversations that are both, uh, both kind of fascinating, part fascinating, part frightening, I think, when it comes to how they're going to go about trying to swallow this pill and get an understanding exactly of uh, you know, what they're going to have to do here. So it will impact uh, everyone. Florida State obviously is in a uh, better situation than, than some uh, out there when it comes to that. But yeah, why don't we just, uh, I said at the beginning, this is kind of a part one, a part two. We'll focus on the offense here, look at each position, uh, try to give you guys, the listeners, quick reminder as to uh, what will be exiting the roster, what will still be on the roster a year from now, and with those two kind of points of information, give you a decent idea as to what the need is uh, from the high school ranks. And then, you know, that will kind of give us a, another idea as to maybe where some portal focus is placed uh, in, you know, 11 months from now. A lot of these small schools, like you said, they, they don't want they don't want an expanded cap. They struggle to pay for 85, like, like you mentioned. I, I think we're going to have an issue here where, and remember the NCAA, it, it loves to say this, but, but it's actually factual. It, it is made up of its member institutions. My guess here is that you're going to have a lot of these small schools voting no. I mean, I don't know if there's actually going to be a vote vote, but I think their input's going to be, hey, it's fine we give these kids a bonus year, but we do not, we, we, we want them to count against the 85 because we, we want to be able to t- tell our coaches, hey, it's the rule, right? They count against the 85. We don't want to have to tell our coaches, hey, yeah, they, they don't count against the 85, but you only, you still have to play with, with, with the school imposed cap of 85, right? That, that makes you look cheap. I know for a fact 
that there are schools out there that are already doing this, that will not let their programs exceed, exceed the 85, uh, even though the NCAA says they can because they just don't want to pay the money. Also has some Title IX implications that complicates things yep. as well. Absolutely. So let's go ahead and start here with offense. We're going to operate under the assumption that, uh, that COVID kids, COVID bonus year seniors will count against 85. So we don't think that you're going to be able to go up and, and play 110. I think that's the safe assumption to, uh, under which to operate right now until we see any kind of different ruling from the NCAA. Quarterback, you lose McKenzie Milton. I think you just need to take one high school kid here, uh, but you need to keep another prospect be a high school kid or uh, a transfer warm just because you want to have four players in the room. If maybe a Tate Rodemaker or uh, Jordan Travis, I almost said Travis Jordan, like, what, what, what was my brain doing this morning? Uh, or you know, Jordan Travis or, or heck, Purdy. Like if one of those guys elects to transfer out, uh, th- then you need to really have another guy warm. But I think at the bare minimum, you need to have one high school quarterback. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, you also kind of want to get into just the routine of doing that. Obviously, the staff has done better at others than signing high school kids. But yeah, that would be the expectation. I think you can be pretty aggressive with trying to, trying to make this a, a pretty high quality grab. And uh, I expect them to sign one high school quarterback and for them to uh, be pretty aggressive at doing so. And I think Florida State will sign a, you know, a, a four-star type prospect at the position. I, I completely agree. Uh, they're, they're already in on, on a couple. Most likely they will pick up traction if, uh, if McKenzie Milton actually is, is 100 or close to 100% healthy and, and has success throwing the football this year. Um, you know, if, if he doesn't, then it'll be more difficult for them to recruit the, uh, the quarterback position. Although, because you didn't sign one this year from the high school ranks, you are going to be able to sell playing time. And this will be a consistent theme for me throughout this breakdown is that because you went so heavy in the transfer portal, and this is, this is kind of a side benefit to doing what FSU did. And you and I both agree that FSU's strategy as far as going heavy portal uh, was appropriate given their time they had to meet kids, evaluate kids, et cetera, as a new staff that had never met most of these dudes in person was, was limited. But because you didn't take a big high school class this year, you are going to have a pretty good amount of playing time to sell. And quarterback is a position uh, at which, because you didn't take a high schooler, you're going to have a lot of playing time to sell. Everybody, that, that, everybody that's, that's coming back will be at least two years older as far as eligibility than anybody you bring in. So it's very possible you can sell to somebody, hey, you come in, you sit for one year, and then you start. And that's that's usually a pretty attractive option to quarterbacks. Although recently, a lot of them have wanted to come in and start immediately. So yeah, I I think quarterback is is a, that's an appropriate need and and it's a reasonable need that I believe they can meet this year. What are you thinking that at running back? Uh, At running back, I think, again, you can, you can have a pretty high bar as to who you're trying to grab from the high school ranks. You know, they still got a pretty decent room returning. I mean, you look, look to return Tofili, Wren, Douglas, Corbin. And the Williams kid. And the, yeah, and the Williams kid. Dante Sheffield cycles kind of off the roster in this uh, here when you're looking at the position. But yeah, I, I think similar to high school, you can, you can try to identify uh, a kind of a core group of two to three guys to which you're going to recruit from, not necessarily say, you know, first commit that gets in there, but I think you can have a pretty clear idea as to what you're trying to do with the position. And I expect Florida State to sign kind of one, um, you know, headline back out of the class. Absolutely. 
like you said with Sheffield, remember that you're only guaranteed to get four years if you're a redshirt junior, as he will be this upcoming year, and you don't play. The, the chance that you get renewed uh, is, is, is low at most programs. So yeah, I wouldn't expect him to, to get a fifth year. As far as, as needs, numerically, I actually think you could go without taking one here. But I, but I don't think you will or, or that you should. If they had everybody back, if, if nobody decides to transfer, which I think is unlikely because, you know, like you said, a lot of these dudes do transfer at the running back position. I mean, they're going to have five back. And that's, that's plenty on, on scholarship. But I think you should probably take one because you're going to have a log jam of, of dudes who are in, you know, in that second or third year of college football. And somebody will, will almost certainly, uh, certainly transfer there. I feel pretty good about that. Like, like they, Norvell's history of, of running backs so along with, with, with David Johnson coaching the position is pretty, pretty promising. I, I think they, they should be able to do a decent job there. And the state of Florida usually produces good backs. Yeah, the state of Florida, South Georgia, I think you can get a pretty good back here. And uh, one of the places on the roster that I have a, I guess, higher degree of confidence in, in general, as to what they've brought in and, and what the group looks like for the next two years or so moving forward. Yeah, it, like none of these guys that they have right now blow me away, but I think they have a, quite a bit of competence here. And they, they've already offered quite a few backs in, in, in the class of 2022. I think they've offered like almost 30. So that's, 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 that's quite the wide net that they're, that they're casting there. Uh, again, if they have a good year running the football with, with their running backs, throwing the ball to their backs, they, they should be able to pick up some traction on the trail. So we'll, we'll see you know, how that looks. You know, something that doesn't really need to pick up any traction because our listeners already love it is the legendary team. That's Shannon and Chad. Awesome job doing not only my, my home loan, but my refi. Over 120 NOLCast listeners have, have done their refi and home loan through the legendary team. Call them to find out why. 844-FSU-LOAN. That's 844-FSU-LOAN. Great rates, customer service, knowledge of the industry. And when you, when you call them up, I mean, they're, they're diehard NOLs. You get a little NOL chat as well. Uh, you know, commiserate about the team and and, uh, and share your bright hopes for the future. So 844-FSU-LOAN. Get the legendary team a call today. Move our attention to wide receiver here, bud. So in uh, a year from now, you'll be losing the parchment kid out of Kansas. Um, <clears throat> assuming he is uh, he is part of the class here uh, as the one individual that's yet to make it uh, to campus. And I believe you actually spoke with somebody about uh, parchment, so you may be able to give us a better idea as to the prospect in particular. But in my opinion here, you probably need two high school kids, uh, maybe, a, maybe a high school kid and another you know, high-quality transfer at this position. But I expect Florida State to take two. I guess this may be a good opportunity. I mean, we haven't done this just because of – kind of the awkward timing in which the, um, not the, <laughs> I can't blame a, a prospect for the way that we uh, choose to record and, and how uh, our own recordings break out. But the Quincy McAdoo commitment, I don't know that we've really had a chance to even acknowledge that just because of some of the other things that have been going on in the program recently. Real high quality prospect, intriguing kid, six foot three, 185 pounds out of uh, Clarendon, Arkansas uh, commitment that, uh, you know, one of the better prospects, if not the best prospect in Arkansas uh, for 2022. So you'll have a you'll have a battle on your hands to keep him. But an impressive looking kid and a, a really strong start. To, if we're going to sit here and talk about class of 22 uh, recruiting needs, if you can hold on to this kid, that's a pretty big need checked off. Exactly. So he is he's FSU's lone uh, commitment on, on offense right now. 
Uh, this is a player that the staff knew from their time at, at Memphis and, and also some, some of the other guys on staff in their time in, in the Deep South. Well, let me interrupt you, bud. I fully expect Travis Hunter to play 140 snaps a game, so oh, uh, well, we need to pin him in on both sides of the ball. Th- this uh, is true. Uh, yeah, he actually probably could do that. He, the, Travis Hunter is... Uh, we might be just being contractually obligated to mention Travis Hunter in every single podcast. So I am for it. I am for it. Yeah. This is officially the Travis Hunter cast. Yeah. Actually, let's go ahead and take to take the parchments uh, bit first, and then, and then we'll kind of transition to the high school stuff. I, I did have a chance to talk to somebody from, from the Kansas staff about parchment because I, I really wondered what, what FSU was, was getting uh, in him. And the, the reviews were, were kind of mixed. Basically, they said, look, he had a really nice 2019 for us. He, he's got some speed, uh, not amazing speed, but, but, he, but he's, got, he's got some ball skills. He can, he can go down the field and, and get the ball. He, he can be a red zone guy. Um, and they also said, look, they were really kind of disappointed in, in the attitude that, that he gave them this year. Right? Now, part of that was the fact that that team was terrible and their quarterback play was, was horrendous. And, and the guy I spoke with, he said, look, I get it from his perspective because this is supposed to be his money year. And, you know, he got it, came out of, came out of Juco has an, has a really nice first year. You know, he, he comes back, he's almost certainly expecting to be able to go pro. Uh, and then he catches like 20 balls or some, some crazy low number. So I said, okay, like they, they need somebody who has awesome practice habits, who can help elevate the receiver room as far as playing like a professional and catching the ball and doing all, all the right, th- you know, all the little things. And the guy just said, no, that's not him. I said, okay, well, can you replace Tamari and Terry? And he's like, well, what, what, what was Terry like? Because if you coach in the Big 12, you don't really pay attention to you know, non-nationally elite teams. And I said, well, Terry uh, had really nice deep speed. He, you know, big guy, could go up and get the football and uh, you know, not maybe the best route runner in the world. And he goes, yeah, I mean, I, don't, I wouldn't say he has elite deep speed, but, but he, he can go he can be kind of your bigger down the field receiver for you. I said, okay, that's, that makes sense. So yeah, I just thought that was, that was interesting. I, I definitely think they would have rather had the Drew, Asta, uh, Drew Estrada kid personally, uh, just somebody who, whose production has been awesome. But Parchment is, uh, is intriguing because of the fact that he did have that nice 2019 season. 2020 was pretty disappointing. I do choose to believe that his drop-off in production had more to do with, with the, the lack of talent around him than it did with just some absolute, you know, absolute collapse in his skills. So I think he still has skills there. Uh, at, and granted, this is coming from a Kansas guy, so he may be a little jaded, right? But I, he's usually honest with me, as far as I know. I've known the guy for a while. Yeah, I, just thought, I thought I would, I would share that about Parchment. Certainly, I think somebody at FSU is happy to have, but... I don't think he's going to transform the receiver room's habits. Fair commentary. Yeah. And always enjoy, you know, leaning on some of your contexts and, and getting a better idea as to, uh, you know, what's out there and, and greater context as to what the position looks like. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, you know, uh, parchment is a, is kind of a bridge here. Certainly don't think he's a, a cure all to the position and uh, a place that Florida state's going to have to continue to try to improve and uh, improve while, you know, improve the, the level of play and what's possible from the position and also uh, improve culture, practice habits and other things tied to, um, you know, being a successful group. So, 
maybe that's Quincy McAdoo, bud, to get back to the the other thing that we kind of talked about there. He's nice. You know, you certainly have a, a high school prospect here that if you can hold on to, you've done a, a pretty significant job of, of addressing a need. I completely agree. Uh, this is a, a, in my opinion, a good take for Florida State. We've both said that we want Florida State to focus more on in-state recruits, especially at, at the skill positions. And I, I still agree with that. But if you have somebody who uh, is is at this ability level, who you already know from, from your prior stops and you're familiar with, like you said, currently rated as the number one player in the state of Arkansas, somebody who Arkansas fans were, were very angry to to lose. I think many of them had kind of been penciling him in uh, to their to their uh, their recruiting class. He's got good size, a listed 6'3", 175. If he's not 6'3", I don't think he's I don't think he's that far off. He dominates his his highlight tape, as you'd expect a, a good player to do. Long, he's got some twitch to him. I, I think he plays with with good strength. He can go up and and get the ball. I, I haven't seen verified testing numbers on him, so if if he has them, I've I've missed them. This is not uncommon, by the way, due to the lack of camps and combines this year. We're, we're a, a lot of evaluators, both on the college side and on the the media side, are, are flying blind as far as lack of testing information. It's not because they don't they can't get it. It's just it hasn't occurred yet. But I'd be a little bit interested to see what his what what he runs not that i think he's slow i just i, I don't know that he's a you know 43 low 44 guy uh, but that, i think this is an excellent take for state and, and certainly somebody who they're they're happy to get at the receiver position you're going to lose parchment as you said if i had to bet i would think you would lose one of ontario wilson or jordan young so that means attrition of of two most likely i think you need to take at least two high school receivers and then either a transfer or another high school player. Is that is that fair? Uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, uh, you'll have to see. You'll have to see what you lose. You'll have to see if you know if this great project that is Jordan Young ever starts to you know really kind of come to fruition here. You know, if Ontario and and uh, and Young start to, to to blossom, I think you could see those guys stay here. But at some point. I don't think Jordan Young is happy just playing, you know, two to three snaps a game and working towards next year. I mean, something will happen at the roster, in my opinion, at this position. You'll either have two guys who really emerge um, or you'll see one or maybe both head out. Uh, And obviously, if both head out, then we'll have to really evaluate the numbers here. But uh, I see definitely two, potentially three, based off how the position kind of evolves and performs in, uh, in 2021. So we'll uh, we'll pick up the pace here a little bit. Tight end, uh, you're going to lose Jordan Wilson. And I think we can have a, a talk about this. I mean, what do you think the chances are that Wyatt Rector get, gets a fifth year? He's going to be a redshirt junior this year. He's on scholarship, but like, do you think they're going to want him back in, in, in 2022? Pretty similar situation to the Sheffield kid, uh, to be honest with you. I mean, I, I, I think positive benefit to the roster, nothing but good things when you talk to the coaches about the kids i just don't know that that necessarily translates to a fifth year on scholarship i would be surprised if that was the case here so i, I think you can have a reasonable conversation that um, from a scholarship perspective uh, rector probably cycles off as well i agree um, and then you also have kim mcdonald who is technically able to come back for one more year i just don't know that i see him playing 
two more years of college football, 21 and 22. That would be surprising. That would be surprising to me. I mean, McDonald has certainly had flashes. West Coast kid, one of the, one of the few that has stuck. Uh, so credit to him for that. I just think that if Cam McDonald has any type of production this year, he'll uh, you know, try to go pro. And I would be shocked to see two more years of him on the roster. I would agree. Uh, and then two more that, that you brought in, uh, in in the last cycle here. So just from talking to folks over there, I I don't I don't think that they believe Carter Boatwright can play at Florida State as far as ability level. I'm not saying he's going to transfer. I just I I don't think that they have very high hopes as far as what he's going to do. And then uh, Marquise and Douglas, who they they brought in, who could have could have potentially played D end or tight end. He, he was a, a guy that played a lot of basketball. Knowles twenty four seven reported that they think it's likely he's going to med DQ and and never play for him on their show. That's tough. <laughs> that's tough, man. I mean, that's that was a intriguing body and a an interesting athlete. And that's uh, that is a that's I was disappointed to hear that. Keep in mind that, that you could eventually go and scholarship Preston Daniel if you feel like you're going to have room within the 85, especially if if Wyatt Rector slides off. But I, I think here's a spot where you probably need to take one high school player and maybe take one transfer because this is a whole lot of attrition you're going to suffer after the 2021 uh, football season. Yeah, I think you can go out, try to grab kind of a marquee tight end. Obviously, you want to try to get the best kid possible at any position, but I do think you can have a whole lot of playing time to promote to somebody, hopefully a decent amount of proof of concept as to you know what it looks like, uh, how you incorporate the tight end uh, into the game. And then I, I, at the same time, I agree. I think you can go try to get a high school kid, put him in the system for three or four years, and also keep an eye out for you know a one or, or two year kind of plug and play uh, situation as well. Inter- you know, a whole lot of numbers here at the tight end position. Interesting that there's such kind of a, you know, just how many are currently on scholarship at this point. And uh, this will be a position that I think will kind of resolve itself, uh, but hopefully will resolve itself with a, a pretty significant high school kid uh, coming in. And, and like I said, I expect this to be an area that they'll kind of operate throughout the season in the back of their mind that, uh, you know, they'll, they'll evaluate the high school ranks and at the same time probably try to bring in somebody in the portal as well. All right. So offensive line uh, is a spot that has long been a bugaboo for, for this, this football program, uh, really about, gosh, probably five, six years now. So you're, you're going to lose Devontae Love Taylor. You're going to lose Bavion. Uh, I, I expect you to lose both, both Jalen Goss and Chaz Neal after the 2021 season. They will both have been redshirt juniors, which means you gave them their four years. Not, not, they, they can't play at, at the Florida State level. And we, we've, we've said, look, you're not going to see those guys depart early because at least from the sources I have, they don't think that they're the type of dudes who are just going to go somewhere else to uh, to find playing time. They, they, they like Florida State, et cetera. But w- once you give them their, their four years, you, you can do some roster management there. So I think you'll probably lose those four. Maybe make the decision to bring one back for, for depth purposes if you have an initial, initial counter crunch. Uh, but I think a pretty decent chance that you lose uh, at least four guys just due to graduation and, uh, and, and aging out. That means you bring 10 back. Is there any chance that all 10 of those other, other guys are going to come back? Kind of doubt it. Maybe you have attrition of one. Me guessing here, looking at the roster, seeing which guys are older but not playing. Ira Henry is really not getting any kind of playing time for you. I know he's had some injury issues with the Seminoles, uh, but uh, 
yeah, he's he's not somebody who's who's been playing very much. I might be a little bit heavy on this, but I, I think you need to take probably four high schoolers and and one transfer. Uh, I could see an argument for three high schoolers and one transfer. I, I kind of curious as as to what you think with with yours. Yeah, I would like to see you try to take four kids. I mean, I, I think this is um, I think this is a spot that you've got a, a position coach that has a little bit of traction uh, as to a national um, perspective and an appreciation for the job that he's done. Uh, I think this is a guy who recruits uh, pretty well. Uh, we've all been impressed by you know some of the some of the efforts so far, and maybe this is the year uh, where those efforts turn into more than you finishing second, third uh, for a kid. And it's more about, you know, actually getting some of these prospects. So uh, I'd be fine devoting four at the high school ranks here. Very much trust Atkins and uh, his ability to evaluate, his ability to build relationships. Um, I would, yeah, I'd try to sign four. And, uh, and you know, maybe there's a transfer kid as well. I do think that, uh, you know, you're right as far as the numbers that come off. Uh, wouldn't shock me if one of those kids didn't get an extra year. Uh, both of them are not necessarily thought of as guys that are going to contribute on the field, but that they do things in the right way off it. And if you need some protection there, maybe maybe you would keep one. I don't, you know, Ira Hendry is a name that comes to mind that wouldn't shock me uh, to see an additional departure uh, over time. But, uh, yeah, this will be an interesting position as to how they – uh, try to break it down, but I do think it's an area that you can be aggressive in the recruiting trail. Try to grab, you know, some some of those higher ranked prospects that you haven't otherwise been able to get, and uh, this will be a position, as always, uh, that will go a long way in defining how successful the class is. Uh, but I expect Florida State to be aggressive, and uh, um, you know, I'll, I'll be very interested to see what Atkins ultimately pulls in. This is also potentially a spot where you can sell. Uh, if not immediate playing time, early playing time, because you did only take two players in, in the high school recruiting class this year with with Rodor and Bryce Nestes. So, as we mentioned, the, you know, like granted, they, it's only to get a transfer for this year's class. I I think because their their offensive tackles and pass protection were terrible when they didn't have play action. Uh, so we'll see we'll see how that works out for them with uh, with, with with taking Mackenzie Milton. I I don't think it makes a whole lot of sense to. You know, do one without the other, unless you're expecting huge jumps from guys. But uh, yeah, I, four plus one, maybe three plus one for for the upcoming class makes makes a whole lot of sense. And, and we know that they uh, they purposely did not offer some guys this in this year's class who they thought were okay players, but not high ceiling guys, because they wanted to save that playing time and pitch for the really top end kids next year. And you, you set the table. Let's let's see what else you can put on it. Let, let's see if you can actually. Go out, do the work, and and land that elite level offensive tackle prospect that they have yet to do. They, they need to go out, go out there and do it, and uh, they have the playing time to sell. Atkins, I think they've done a good job marketing him and his success this year. I think a lot of that success is real, and we'll see if they're able to actually cash that in with a, a top end level prospect. Because right now they just don't have that on their roster. Yeah, uh, it will be interesting to see what they do there. One thing that we're always confident and uh, and very fortunate to be able to lean back on are the good services or the services of the good people at Congruity. Uh, Matt Lewis has been nothing but a, a great asset for our business, and we would suggest that he would be uh, very similar for yours. Uh, experiencing your business optimized is what the people at Congruity 
uh, offer you highly customized HR solutions to designed to enhance your brand, save time, save money, reduce business risk, uh, work with the same people that uh, we do, work with the same people uh, that Madison Social has chosen uh, to pair with their business. You can reach Matt Lewis at 844-247-4100 or Knowles, N-O-L-E-S, at congruityhr.com. All right. Uh, so you want to get to some listener questions here? Let's do it, man. We've got a lot. We'll try to uh, get to as many as possible. want to thank uh, certainly a lot of these come from Patreon, but also had some people uh, DM us and, and reach out uh, via other methods. So first one comes from JJ. Uh, JJ says, uh, with the addition of more and only two potential scholarships available, does this lead you to believe that staff expects that they are unlikely to get Hill and Malone? Lots of taking off its a tackle, I believe is the question, or another scenario. In your opinion, does Moore's upside mitigate the injury concerns enough that it's a worthwhile use of a scholarship? I guess in theory, his upside could mitigate the the concerns. Uh, I, I don't think that taking three DBs, if you know, three scholarship DBs uh, is is like the best and highest use. Unless, I don't know, man, like unless there's something we don't know. Well, I mean, I do think that uh, there's a couple things in play here. You know, I, I do think that you could say, well, the staff doesn't necessarily love what they have in the room. Yeah, that may be true. I think it was before the North Carolina game. I opened up a, a podcast and said, hey, look, there's an awful lot of rumors out there uh, about, you know, future kids that are looking to transfer. You know, most of those are tied to Durden and others that ultimately came to fruition. I will tell you that there was one or two names that are, you know, at the time probably viewed a little bit larger than they are now as far as uh, rumored to be looking at the transfer portal. Wouldn't shock me to see maybe a loss, maybe um, – you know, maybe one or two names coming off the coming off the uh, position group there, and also uh, let me see how I can say this. But e- even people that aren't like in love <laughs> uh, aren't like totally in love with Mike Norvell. When you talk to him out there, let me put it: even it, even his detractors will tell you that he's exceptionally organized and approaches a re- approaches his roster with a level head and doesn't you know get a whole lot of emotion involved to it. And I say that to say. That if you, you're taking three DBs, something else is in play that we're not familiar with, okay? Either somebody, either there's some qualification concerns or there's a way. Meaning like like one of your guys that you're bringing in won't count against the initial counters because he like, doesn't qualify for a scholarship? Uh, well, either there, there's something out in play. Either, either maybe there's a qualification, maybe there's a way that you're able to gray shirt somebody, uh, maybe there's a way that somebody's able to do a year of in-state tuition and turn into a full scholarship. There's this this picture has there's something about it that has yet to come to fruition. That that's what I can say by looking at the board. Florida State doesn't take three DBs with all the other concerns at the roster without having addressed the offensive tackle position. Uh, there's there's something else more in play. I I think. Yeah, man. Like we usually try to look for what makes sense, and I, I would agree with you. I, I didn't love the idea of taking two. I was gonna say we had enough debate about two, uh, much less a third that popped after we, after we recorded our previous episode. So yeah, I mean, I think, I think more is a is a nice pickup potentially, but again, not something that you would use one of your few remaining scholarships uh, left on. 
So, like I said, I think there's more to it. I think in time we'll have a greater idea as to, you know, what is the more uh, to it. And we'll have a little more clarity as to some of the decision making. Uh, as far as the other part of the question, does it mean that it's unlikely to get both Hill and Malone? Uh, I, I don't know anybody over there who's absolutely expecting to get Malone. No, I, I mean, I, I we've talked pretty uh, frankly about the fact that uh, Malone would be, you know, I, I just don't know that uh, you're in a place over the program to to get a kid like Malone quite yet. Maybe maybe more a 2022 thing at this point. Exactly. Okay, uh, so let's go ahead and go to Matt's question. He writes, uh, hey, Wanya Morris, yes or no? By the way, Ingram, loving the Rangers on FIFA 21. I have loyalty. I pick them every time just because of the null cast. That's a soccer-related comment there. Okay, yeah, a fan of the FIFA series there and uh, appreciate your support, Matt. So Wanya Morris, we included this, obviously, a kid that uh, committed to Oklahoma yesterday. Uh, somebody that you seem to think that that was the destination early and uh, give you credit for that. Yeah. Uh, so maybe not so much conversation as to Wanya Morris, but maybe we could have a brief conversation as to the implications uh, as to what's going on with, with Tennessee. This won't necessarily be an immediate thing, uh, but Tennessee is kind of, I would, I would classify them strongly in kind of Florida state's recruiting peer group right now. Uh, somebody that you kind of go up uh, against on the recruiting trail, not necessarily somebody that, you know, re- recruits and battles with the Clemson, Alabama, Georgia's the world. Um, so this this will certainly have an impact on Florida State. It, it definitely will. Uh, as for Morris, I, I was told that he was going to Oklahoma. Uh, I believe it was, I think it was Kessna who, who asked us on, on Twitter, and I wasn't sure when we were going to record next, did, did it be out of town for the holiday? And I just said, uh, it's, it's Oklahoma and it's been done for a while. Right. And I think he asked me that as Texas A&M crystal balls were, were rolling in. And I'll just say, look, sometimes these things are done well before the kid have been like officially hits the portal. Yep. Yeah. No, we, we've talked about that. You know, you know sometimes it's uh, when it's done in four hours, uh, it's it's been done prior to that. And uh, if Florida State wanted to sign Wanya Morris, they should have gone back in time in 2017 and had their collective house in order. Uh, and maybe that could have come to fruition. So January 8th is when, when, when I got a text, hey, Morris is not in the portal yet, but off to tackle Tennessee, he's going to go to Oklahoma. And then I think he got in the portal a couple of days later. And then there was some song and dance, and then he eventually went to exactly where somebody who would know said he was going to go. Ryan asks, hey, we talked a lot about incoming transfers and recruits. Are there any players we might, we might expect to leave? How does this impact the need to get offensive line transfers? I think we mostly covered this in, in the opening uh, segment of the show. I don't think that anybody else leaving off this roster impacts your need to get transfers for this year, unless somebody really unexpected leaves, which would obviously have an impact. But I'm not anticipating any other offensive linemen to leave before the season starts, at least not anybody who's going to start. I think that's fair. Lucas asks, hey, guys, kind of a broader question. Do you think the bottleneck of talent at the top three to five uh, college football programs will be affected by an expanded playoff? That's an interesting question, Lucas. I would say yes, slightly. I I am an expand the playoff guy, personally. I know a lot of traditionalists are not. I respect their opinion. I worry about the viability of college football in the long term as a national sport. Uh, I share those concerns. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. With the advent of the playoff, it's it's something that is 
it used to be a big deal to fans to make the Rose Bowl if you're in the Big Ten. Now it's sort of like, yeah, you made the Rose Bowl, but you didn't make the playoff. Like, like the, you know, the bloom is off a little bit. I think that that's similar elsewhere. And I think a lot of fans believe that they don't really have access to the tournament if their team is in a certain region of the country. That's what I think would change with an expanded playoff. I think it would keep interest in the sport deeper into the season in more regions in, than which you know, it currently is in. You would still have the people who were like, yeah, we didn't make the playoff, but you would have more programs with a legitimate chance to make the playoff. And I don't think that expanding the playoff would result in that many different champions. I think the best teams are still going to win the playoff, much like the argument, hey, if, if, if there was a playoff when Bowden had things rocking and rolling, Florida State probably has at least one if not two more titles. But I think you need to keep that belief alive. And it, I think it keeps interest in college football championship games for conferences, right? If you know that if Northwestern beats Ohio State, they're going to be a bid thief. And then Ohio State's got to say, oh, shoot, like, we, we, we might get in as that large. We, we might not, right? That, that, that Oregon-USC game it ends up mattering a, a whole lot. And this year is not a great example of this because everybody played an you know, unequal number of games and whatnot, et cetera. But I, I think it, it keeps interest in the sport longer from a regional perspective. And that's important because we have not had a national champion from west of the Mississippi River in 15 years. I, I certainly think something has to be done. And, uh, and you know, expanding... Uh, so with that understanding and the realistic idea that the playoff's not going away and it will only do but one thing as far as an art as far as an alteration goes, uh, yeah, I expect it to expand. And I think, uh, you know, I do think for uh, college football's got to be got to be weary as to what's going on here and how to kind of try to white, uh, walk this tightrope of a season whose regular season means so much and is what makes it unique and. Uh, you know, contributes to what makes college football great. And at the same time, you know, broadening the the playoff, keeping more people tied into it. And it's not a good thing for the sport right now to have four playoff spots and go into the year and where you're almost certain that Clemson's going to be one of them, Ohio State's going to be one of them, and Alabama's probably going to be involved. You know, I mean, that, that's not, that that's a bad thing. And you kind of get into the, place where women's college basketball was 10 years ago or so where, you know, UConn was going to play, maybe other couple of people would be decent, but uh, sports kind of getting drained out. So uh, I'll be fascinated to see what that, you know, what that looks like, how it works. Uh, but yeah, I expect Florida or I expect college football to expand its playoff and hopefully that'll be a benefit and not, you know, water down the regular season, which makes the sport so special. 100% agree there. Also, if you do expand to eight, I would fully expect you would have first round games on college campuses. So that would, that would bring a little more of the kind of collegiality back into the sport, which, which I think it, it largely needs. Keep in mind, if, if, if you read Dan Wetzel's book on, on the bowl system, you'll quickly decide that, that, that they don't really need the bowls. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, you will. And at the same time, like, you know, what you said, um, and I'm not just saying this to, take a shot at, at, at Florida, but like, you can't have, 
you can't have the bowl system have a program go to the sugar bowl, which is one of the more, you know, important ones out there, and then have the coach in the press conference basically say, that was a nice practice. I mean, that, that just doesn't pair with what, how things have worked. Uh, so be fascinating to see what this looks like moving forward if they try to incorporate those uh, bowls more into the system. But I think you're right that you could look at a first round of, uh, of games on campus and that would be, you know, maybe that's the way to do it. Maybe that's the way to incorporate some of the things that make college football special, the, you know, band, tailgates, atmosphere, so much of which was missed from this year and played a role in, in kind of a waning level of, uh, of interest and focus in the sport. So uh, fascinating to see what happens from a, a broader perspective. For sure. All right. Uh, let's go ahead and uh, we're going to take here. Corey's question. So Corey says, hey, Ingram, bud, given no spring season and roster complications that plagued the 2020 season, I would be interested to hear y'all's opinions on how well you thought the staff made lemons uh, made lemonade with their offensive system. Moreover, if you could speculate, given the recent additions in the transfer portal and a more complete offseason, what we may expect to see in the 2021 offensive arsenal. I, I would say that the, the I mean, most of their, their transfer additions have been on on the defensive side of the ball. But in getting Parchment and in, in, in getting Milton and getting Williams, I, I think those are, are additions which which can help you. I, I don't know that Williams is a no-doubt starter for you. I, I, I want to see him healthy, what kind of shape he's in, et cetera. Milton, I, I don't think you bring him in to compete for the job. I think you bring him in to start. And then Parchment, we, we already discussed on this episode about uh, about 15 minutes into the show. I'd be interested to hear your opinion on how well this stuff made lemonade. I, well, I think you did a really good job, to be honest. Of of making lemonade out out of lemons, uh, what what were their what were their issues and how did they overcome them? Well, I think their main issue was the inability to protect in the drop back passing game. They just couldn't protect it. it was the, the pressure that they allowed was was a ton. Uh, they also really couldn't run the football without the addition of the extra gap, which is created by the running quarterback. They had to coach around their offensive line. I think they also had major problems at receiver, which is probably one A and one B. And how did they uh, how did they coach around not having receivers? Well, they just didn't throw the ball, and, and, and they didn't really ask their guys to you know to to get open running traditional routes. They they just basically used play action a bunch and play action to off of the QB run game stuff, which which was effective. Relatively, I mean, their offense still finished. I think the offense still finished worse than the defense, didn't it? In 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 the advanced stats, and they played a lot of bad defenses, and it was a struggle to get twenty points in a lot of games. Uh, but the Duke, the, you know, the Duke game to finish out the year left a positive taste in people's mouths. I have questions about receiver going into this year. To be frank with you guys, even with the addition of, of parchment, we'll see how well they're able to develop guys. They they need some of those younger dudes. To step up, whether it's Kentron or Brian Robinson, um, maybe Ontario Wilson comes back uh, healthier and and has a nice year for them. So I certainly have some questions about that. Uh, and then I also have major questions about their ability to to pass protect. I think you have some dudes that they're going to be playing at tackle, who the staff internally views more as guards in an ideal situation. This is not an ideal situation right now, and. Uh, You've got a dude in Mackenzie Milton who, by his own words, is not 100% yet, right? And that's been two years since the injury. 
he I don't think he's going to be running around and doing Jordan Travis type stuff with his legs. So we are really going to have to see how this offense looks in the drop back game. And I think he's a very good quick game quarterback. So that'll be that'll be one thing that that Travis does not do well. And we really haven't seen Purdy and, and Rodemaker do much of that at all because they really didn't play very much. But I have some questions about this offense. I, I don't think this is going to turn into some awesome offense this year. Uh, FSU, by the way, they were uh, 70th in offensive SP+. So not, not great. Uh, did show some improvement down the stretch in, in some games. Uh, part of that, I do wonder if, if that was like, okay, teams are going to allow them to run the football once they're up big and they, they continue to stick with the run because that's basically what they could do. The offense did finish higher than, than the uh, the defense, I believe, in, in the final the final ranking. So that there is that, and uh, against the schedule that was fifty sixth in the country in terms of schedule rank, so not toughest schedule in the nation. I don't know they've done enough to, to take a huge jump on offense, but I think they will make a jump. Corey adds, evidently watching last night's game as he submitted this question. Holy smokes, these dunks on Louisville are insane. Uh, yeah, Corey, watching Florida State get out to the first half that they did against Louisville was uh, pretty impressive last night. In the words of Carlix Jones, Louisville's guard, they punked us. We got in a hole. We couldn't get out. Like I said, they punked us. And quotes like that uh, make my spirit <clears throat> sore. And uh, yeah, credit to the basketball team for what they've done. Uh, continue to do. We tip our hat and uh, you know we'll continue to to watch this season play out and hopefully they continue to have the success that they've had in the league. I believe uh, I saw Ira tweet out a stat last night that of the last 44 games, uh, Florida state is second only to UVA and um, you know, results in conference winning. Uh, what was it? 37 uh, going 34 and 10 in their last 44 ACC conference games. That's absurd. And uh, we tip our hat to Leonard and the staff over there for the program that they have built. Uh, Bobby writes, Ingram enjoyed your recent back and forth on Twitter regarding Marvin Jones not being in the College Football Hall of Fame recently. How is this possible? Is it tied to him only playing for three years and declaring as a junior? So, um, good question, Bobby. I will tell you that um, I made a call (laughs) to somebody that is uh, involved in this process last week. And um, I'll let you know how this conversation went. And I rang him. Uh, we talked to a second. I said, hey, let me talk to you about something. I just want to, uh, you know, I, I didn't want to call the guy and sit, come off as some crazy fan like, oh, how's this guy not in the Hall of Fame, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but I asked him, I said, you know, I've been watching college football for uh, 30 years now. And the best player that I've ever seen is Marvin Jones. I'm curious as to how he's not in the Hall of Fame or what is involved in that. And I said that, and honestly, bud, there was seven seconds of silence. (laughs) And the guy goes, shade tree? That Marvin Jones? He's not in the College Football Hall of Fame? I said, yeah, no, he's not. I expect Marvin Jones to be a nominee next year, if nothing else, and will probably uh, be put in the College Football Hall of Fame shortly thereafter. He he ticks off every box that's necessary. Uh, There is no... Um, yeah, there's nothing out there that would prevent him from being in other than what I honestly think was an honest oversight. So hopefully in a year, we'll be able to uh, acknowledge Marvin Jones as a college football hall of famer 
and maybe the Nolcast will have played some small role in that. Are you breaking some news here on the Nolcast? Like that, that sounds like Ingram Smith is reporting. I, I like this, dude. This is this is solid. I th- I think uh, like I said, in three hundred and six well, we'll be three hundred sixty five days, but in three hundred forty days, somewhere in that area, I think we'll be able to at least talk about nominee Marvin Jones, if not full on addition. Uh, no, I mean for our younger listeners, Marvin Jones, maybe the best college football linebacker to ever play the game. Simply, uh, you know, maybe the best college football, uh, maybe the best linebacker in college football as a freshman, consensus All American as a sophomore and junior. Uh, dude was just, uh, there, no, there are no words. I mean, of the players that I've seen play, uh, and granted I was very young and you tend to kind of, you know, make giants of, of players when you're younger. But even when I go back and watch his tape now, they're nothing like Marvin Jones out there. And, uh, like I said, I, I expect him to be part of the college football hall of fame sooner than later. I completely agree with that. And just one of those rare guys that, that transcends decades. You know, there's a lot of these dudes like, yeah, they play. They would have been very good in their decade. I I think even like five years ago, if you drop that that Marvin Jones into the college game, uh, just I, I think he would have wrecked stuff. Uh, just just an, an awesome player. He wouldn't necessarily. He's got a little Trey Marshall in him, if you know what I mean. So would would have need to made a few modifications on uh, on the tackling style for today's game. But yeah, no, Marvin Jones was was unlike any other and uh, hopefully gets his. Uh, proper due as a college football Hall of Famer. Uh, Cody writes a question here with Meyer going to the Jags. Is there any concern that this negatively impacts recruiting in the Jacksonville, Daytona area, which has been favorable to Florida State over the past decade and a half? Cody, not belittling, uh, belittling your question in any way, but I, I don't see anything being tied to recruiting based off uh, how Urban Meyer fares in the NFL. Um, so I don't, I don't think that'll have any... Um, any impact whatsoever, but if I'm overlooking something or being too simple in my analysis, please let me know. No, I think you're 100% right. This is just, it's too, it's too far removed to to have a significant impact in in recruiting. Sticking on the recruiting trend here, uh, Blake asks, Hey guys, uh, always looking forward to the show and still wanting to make it to Madison social. Was FSU in on any Tennessee recruits that may be affected by the coaching change? So this is interesting. As far as kids who FSU was in on that are in Tennessee's class, not really, although they did. I know they, they evaluated Colby Smith when he committed to Tennessee um, back in, in the spring. That's an offensive tackle out of North Carolina. I don't really remember if they liked him or not, but I know they were at least looking at him. Now, he, he decommitted from Tennessee uh I think there's some Tennessee people who thought he was going to do that regardless of what happened with Jeremy Pruitt. So maybe they'll kick the tires there. His other offers are are not really all that great. I mean, he has Duke, he has Tennessee, uh, NC State, South Carolina, Virginia. So this is not uh, this is not one of the kids that Tennessee uh, somehow beat out like Bama and Georgia for, as far as that level of talent. But maybe that's somebody they, they could take a look at in their class. I really haven't seen where he's expected to go uh, at this point, but that's a player maybe as far as more high school receivers, uh, they, they just lost a, a four-star from the Mobile area. So perhaps uh, that's somebody FSU could look at, I guess, but they already have Hill. So I, I don't really expect them to do so. I know South Carolina is, is pretty hard on this guy. Now, 
in general, though, I do think this is an inter- interesting thing because Tennessee, as you mentioned kind of a little bit in one of the earlier questions, Tennessee is one of FSU's recruiting rivals right now and it has been for, for the last couple of years. Florida State is, for the most part, not going up against Bama, Georgia, Ohio State, Clemson, LSU, which are pretty much the best five recruiters in the country over the last three or four years, or in Bama's case, the last like 13 years. Tennessee being down which I expect there to be sanctions, just as Tennessee said in their press conference yesterday in, in firing Pruitt for cause, uh, that will be a benefit to the Seminoles. Now, it'll also be a benefit for Clemson. It'll also be a benefit for North Carolina. But they have gone up against Tennessee for, for quite a few kids in recent years, and the results have been mixed. So Tennessee being down, normally I would say does not help FSU that much. But because of where you are as a program right now, and the type of kids that you're recruiting, so the kids that would go to Louisville, Georgia Tech, Tennessee, Florida State, et cetera, uh, kind of knocking out one of those competitors could be a help in the future. Although you do hope, as an Oles fan, that eventually you move, you move beyond trying to recruit against Tennessee all that much, especially if what we think might happen to them does happen. I just have to chuckle at the idea of Philip Fulmer uh, during yesterday's press conference going, well, the recruiting's been good. <laughs> yes, Phil. It's, it's, it, yes, it has been good. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it has. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Also, I, I love the, uh, did you see the Tennessean reported that Fulmer is retiring and this move has is in no way related to the dismissal of Jeremy Pruitt? Nothing. No, nothing. This isn't tied to this at all, bud. What are you talking? What are you talking about? I'm like, yeah. You just got an extension. No, man. College football makes me laugh. I'm, uh, you know, glad that Tennessee and and similar programs are out there so that we can, uh, you know, we can appreciate college football for what it is. And yeah, I thought yesterday was very, very funny. So uh, Blake mentioned it there uh, in his question. He's yet to be able to uh, you know, experience Madison social vast majority of our listeners have. We certainly appreciate all the support uh, that you give them a uh, decent amount of y'all took place or took part in that uh, gift card deal that they did for the holidays. Just great people, great food, nothing but a experience uh, amplifier. Uh, if you can use such a term uh, for those of us that are Florida state fans, uh, Matt and his team do a great job, whether it be just going in for a hamburger or, you know, you're looking at some of their online merchandise, uh, you can go to madisonsocial.com backslash Nolcast. Uh, and we certainly hope to, um, you know, we'll see. We'll see what the spring game looks like, or, or maybe it's the first game of next year. But uh, we certainly look forward to seeing uh, you guys for some type of game setting or, or something like that, and where we can all get out on a porch, whether it be Township, Madison Social, something else, have a beer, celebrate uh the fact that hopefully normal life is back and we can enjoy uh, sports and, and nobody better to pair that enjoyment of Florida State athletics with than the good people of Madison Social for the table restaurant group as a, as a broader entity. All right. Uh, so we actually, I think we, on our question sheet here, we, we had Derek's last week, I believe. Did we get to it last week? Okay. I wasn't, I wasn't sure if we had gotten. Okay, great. Yeah, I believe we did. And then Sam's, uh, we did not get to. So let's go ahead and end the show here with with Sam. Long show this morning, but I'm really glad to be back after the uh, holiday weekend. If Milton wins the starting quarterback spot next year, what happens with Travis? Would he transfer out? If he stays, is the position change likely? And to where? Receiver? Safety? I think that you can um, 
I think that you could work Jordan Travis into an offense. Absolutely. And I, I think you'll create packages for him. Um, I think that you can, I, I, I'm really excited. I mean, I think there's an awful lot that you could do. I, I think uh, kind of, you know, what you tried to do in the Miami game, you can do with a whole hell of a lot more polish and certainty as to, you know, what you're trying to execute. Uh, if you happen to watch the, uh, the Saints Buccaneers game, you know, maybe you're able to use some packages where the Saints actually threw the ball downfield one of the rare times in that game with Jameis Winston. You know, maybe you're able to offer uh, formations like that where it's not as obvious as, as the, you're trying to do a trick play. It's not as obvious that you've just got some quarterback that's running down on the field. I, I think you can deploy Travis in a, uh, a lot of exciting ways, and I, I look forward to seeing – you know, with a full season of both knowing what he is capable of uh, and kind of drawing up some uh, opportunities for him. I expect Jordan Travis to be a pretty big part of this offense moving forward. I, I would agree with you. I, I definitely think that that uh, that it's possible he could. But the one thing that we don't know in here is what, what does the player want to do, right? I mean, like the player is going to go into spring thinking I'm competing for the job. And like certainly, look if he outplays Mackenzie Milton, then then he outplays him. I I don't think that uh, that he will, given where I think they want to take this offense. But it's it's in theory possible. Does if he views himself as a quarterback though, then I think he will transfer. I mean that that that's a lot of what. It, excuse me, if he loses the job and views himself as a quarterback, which I think is a, is a reasonable view. He's just good enough to stay at quarterback. Now, I don't think he's good enough to play quarterback in the NFL. But if he if he likes playing quarterback, if that's what he enjoys doing, then I think it's absolutely fine that uh, or absolutely possible that that he can do that and 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 do that well. So he could easily transfer if he wants to go find somewhere to play quarterback. It's just going to depend on what he views himself as, assuming that Milton wins the job, which is an assumption, but not a guarantee. I don't think you'd see him play defense, though. If he did stay and switch positions, I think you'd have, you'd want the ball in his hands. Yeah, I think you'd want the ball in his hands. I think you'd want him working with the the broader offensive group in general. So, um, like I said, uh, I'm excited. I think you bring up a good point. If he's uh, you know 100% hell bent on being quarterback, then that might complicate things. But um, yeah, I I expect Jordan Travis to to take some snaps next year to be a big part of the offense. And uh, it'll be, you know, it'll be uh, pretty interesting to see what they try to try to do with his unique talent. Yeah, man. Like you said, longer show than maybe expected, but uh, great to be able to be back, uh, get one of these uh, recorded at the morning. Hopefully get it out to you guys uh, as soon as possible here. Uh, appreciate all the support that you give our sponsors, uh, the support that you give us uh, historically. I mean, the idea that we almost have 4,000 iTunes reviews is just preposterous and and very much appreciated at the same time. So uh, thank you to you, the listener, who have made the Nolcast possible for all these years. And uh, we look forward to bringing you another one here in the near future. All right, bud. I'll see you soon. This has been the Nolcast. The Nolcast is created and hosted by Bud Elliott and Ingram Smith, music by Judson Wright, and produced by Justin Robinson. Go Knowles.